Tattoos Podcast 107, Core Health. Core Health. When you're done with this podcast, I want you just to Google something. Google the words, pastor commits suicide. And what you're going to find on that landing page is article after article of different pastors who have unfortunately taken their own life in the, in the previous years. All these stories are very tragic. Perhaps one that sticks out uh, in the recent future that's very tragic is the account of Andrew Stockland. Andrew was a, was, a, was a mega church pastor. His father actually planted this church in California And then his father gets cancer and dies. And so in the process, the church is passed on to Andrew, who's very young, but he's very talented. And and, and the people loved him, and it appeared that everything was going to go well. And from all accounts on the surface, it was going well. In fact, under Andrew's leadership, all all the stats started going up. I think attendance was going up. The finances of the church were going up. Everything was going great. However, almost immediately, the demands of pastoring a 4,000-member church with almost no leadership experience at that level started to tear at his soul. In fact, he was freshly married to his now widow, Kayla, and she said very early on within the first year of their marriage, he's starting to exhibit mental health problems. He's having panic attacks and depression. In fact, she tells a very sad story where on their one-year anniversary that she finds him in the shower in a fetal position, just almost convulsing. He is having such a major panic attack, and 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 they start praying, and they're trying to figure all this out. Well, it, it seeps out a little bit to the board of elders uh, that he's having some issues, and so they tell him he needs to take a summer sabbatical to mourn the death of his father, um, and he does that, and, and it appears like perhaps it worked, but shortly after his return to ministry, he takes his own life, and now his his widow, Kayla, is speaking out about the reality of mental health and ministry. The story is very well published. So I'm not going to go into all the details. You can Google it, and you can find it, but I and, I and I would encourage you to do that because the story is is very powerful, and there's a lot that we can learn from it. What scares me about Kayla's story, though, is as she is describing who her husband was, she is describing a lot of the traits that I hope are in myself and that I see in, in my friends that I really admire. And I think we have this idea that someone who struggles with mental health is a person who is mentally or spiritually weak. And what I can tell from the research I've done, that's that's a fallacy. That's not completely true. The war in the mind can approach the most strong among us at any time, and, and a lot of times it can catch us off guard. And I think we see this in the Bible. What's interesting about ministry and, and the picture that the Bible paints of ministry is that a lot of God's chosen people end up in bad situations because of their emotional health. I mean, think about Moses. His anger prevented him from going to the promised land. Samson's uncontrolled lust led him to capture and death. David's wandering mind led him to adultery. Elijah's depression led him to a place where he was suicidal. There's no doubt Peter was driven by his emotions. And I, and I think we can make the case for a lot of biblical leaders as well that they, they struggled with mental health from time to time. And my conclusion is this, a ministry leader will be attacked spiritually and or emotionally at some point in their ministry. Why? Because the enemy cannot destroy us with external forces. There is no weapon formed against the people of God that is going to prevail. That is a promise within the scripture. But what we see time and time again, both in the biblical narratives and today, are that people are ultimately sabotaged by their own mind. I mean, we see it all the time where there are pastor after pastor after pastor who are having moral failures, they're having mental breakdowns, they're they're struggling with these things. Why? Because there's a war that's being waged in their mind that they don't have control over. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it 
is the flow of the springs of life. And I love that. Keep your heart with all vigilance. This is something we need to watch in our own life. And for us as ministry leaders, we need to make sure that our core is not being neglected because the enemy's coming for us. If we knew the robber was coming tonight, we're going to stand up vigilant waiting for that attacker to break into our house because we want to deal with the problem. And we need to be just as aware that there's going to be a problem coming for us mentally and spiritually towards our minds. And we need to be proactive today to prepare for that battle that's coming tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm a guy. I, I love my guns. I have them. I've trained with them because I want to protect my family if I need to, you know, and we need to do the same thing spiritually and emotionally, and we need to be prepared for the battle that's coming. So with that, today, I have a guest with me, Mr. Ray Moran, and obviously you guys know Ray, but for whatever reason, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Ray is, Ray has a counseling and coaching practice here in Grove, Oklahoma. He's a family man. He's a man who's been in ministry. Uh, he's currently running that practice up there. Uh, he just launched uh, his own practice not too long ago, and so that's very exciting uh, for him. Uh, Ray's salvation story is really interesting because he is led to the Lord and discipled by his now father-in-law. Do you think your father-in-law uh, made a good decision, or do you think he's regretting that decision now? <clears throat> you know, I think most days he uh, he thinks he made a good decision. Yeah, yeah. But I would be a liar if I th- if I said that, he didn't ever regret it. Yeah. Your father-in-law's a good guy. He's he a really a good, good guy. He yeah, you did guy. well. Uh, Ray's on here because every time we start talking, a couple hours later, you know, we've solved all the world's problems. And so we, we, we started talking one day about the mental health issue in ministry, and we decided this was a conversation we wanted to have with our church staff. And so uh, we're just going to do a little bit of talking, a little bit of processing, and hopefully this will be uh, beneficial to you, uh, Ray. Just out of curiosity, what are your professional qualifications? I mean, what kind of what kind of professional training have you had in the back in, in your in your background? <clears throat> okay, well, first of all, I'm a licensed professional counselor with the state of Oklahoma, um, and then post postgraduate education, I have uh, certifications in uh, trauma focused cognitive behavior therapy, certification in uh, as a circle security parenting facilitator. Uh, prepare and enrich marriage counselor mm-hmm. and so and then and then other things like certified hypnotherapist certified life coach so there's several things that i've done postgraduate school for certification and further study yeah very good uh the just because i know him as a friend his professional background is pretty extensive too and just some different things he's done and that brings a really interesting perspective i think because Ray has worked in the real world and has lived in the real world. And sometimes academic type people have not actually done ministry or they haven't, you know, built furniture, things that uh, Ray has done on a professional, on a professional basis. And therefore I think it makes it more applicable to the average everyday guy. I kind of want to start out by talking about, you know, emotionally healthy individuals. And then we kind of want to move into having uh, healthy marriages but I think we can't have healthy marriages till we have healthy individuals. So let's kind of just start talking about emotions in general. How would you even begin to define emotions? I mean, if, if we want to be emotionally healthy, what are our emotions? How should we even view these things? Okay, well, I think, first of all, we should, <clears throat> we should understand that um, emotions, to define emotions, I would define it like this. It's a complex reaction pattern, mm. and it involves three components. Okay. First component is our subjective experience. Okay. This is how we think or perceive the uh, of an experience, right? Because we can't ever be certain of the exact details. Mm. Uh, because mm. we don't we don't only see experiences logically. We also see them and feel them emotionally. Okay. Right? And we don't see everything that happens because we get fixated on something. It's like um, being in this room, there's 
billions of bits of, of information that I'm taking in with my eyes, mm-hmm. my ears, with my, with all five senses. Right. Okay. And so there's, so I try my best to be focused on what I'm supposed to be focused on, mm. but there's other things that distract us. Right. And so yeah. we can't ever be certain that what we experience is exactly what we experience. Mm. And secondly, we know that two different people can be in the same experience and leave with different emotional responses. Mm. So it's subjective experience. The second thing is our physiological response. We know that our autonomic nervous system reacts to, to everything around us, right? So these are the involuntary responses, the rate of our heartbeat, the rate and depth of our breathing, the neurochemical activity and, and hormonal activity that takes place in every experience. So we mm. have a, this physiological response that dictates emotions. And then we have the behavioral and, and expressive response, which is mm. uh, facial expressions, body posture, grimacing, sighing, some of those kind of things. Even, mm-hmm. even the decibels of our, of our verbal uh, expressions. Mm. So complex response. This is interesting. So this is why I get in a fight with my spouse. Because I hone in on one thing that she did. Mm-hmm. So I'm subjectively only seeing part of the picture, right. intentionally or otherwise, right? There's a there's a response. I see it. I don't like it. My heart rate goes up. I'm starting to feel angry. Therefore, I respond a certain way that she is now subjectively viewing. And this cycle starts where we're going down a road where we're just yelling within 30 minutes over, you know, toothbrushes left in the sink or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So that's a, that's a good definition of emotions. Why did God create us to have those then? So our emotions, I think they're created as a, as an alert system. Mm. Right. So, um, so we have, we have emotions, I think for two reasons, I think one is to survive Mm. and two is to thrive. Mm. Right. So we have emotions to survive. If we didn't experience fear, we would all be dead. Mm. We would have done crazy things because we wouldn't have been scared to do it. Maybe we, maybe we're at Yellowstone national park and we were hiking and we see a bear mm. with no fear. What would we do? We'd go pet the bear. We'd go pet the bear. It's soft looking. Yeah. And there's people right? who do that. Yeah. And they get mauled every year. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So th- surviving, I'm with you. So, so, yeah, it helps us survive. <clears throat> I think it also, they help us to thrive. Hmm. So, for a couple couple things. One, like, if you never experienced any kind of stress or anxiety, hmm. you would never be on time for anything. Hmm. Because why would you care? Hmm. You would never get your work done. You wouldn't care about excellence. You wouldn't do anything to the best of your ability. Because there's nothing that's driving you to do that. So, stress and anxiety strive us and motivate us to do to do work on time, be punctual and do excellence. Mm. Right. But our emotions become a problem when they become a problem, when they interfere with our functioning or they hold us back from anything. Well, and in that same vein, I was curious about that. So, I mean, if emotions are there to help us survive and thrive, right. Why do so many of us then wrestle with them in a negative, a negative context? I mean, Uh, Going back to Andrew that we told this story a second ago, I mean, this guy's in a situation where his emotional reaction to the environment he was in ultimately led him to a place where he was taking his own life. So what what does it mean to be emotionally healthy then? So, okay, so I think one of the things that we have to really hone in on when we're talking about emotions and how to know that we're emotionally healthy or emotionally unhealthy 
is we have to understand the, the foundation of emotions. And it's in our thoughts, right? It's, it's our thought patterns. And so it's not so much what we feel, it's what we think after we start feeling these things or how we think in order to lead up to certain feelings. And so it's our, <clears throat> the way our system works, it's, it's more like a digital signal than an analog signal. We like to see it more as an analog signal. If you remember back in the day um, when you plugged in a VCR to a TV, mm-hmm. you used the analog cable, the red, white, and the yellow. And what that did is it allowed the, the, the DVD player to talk to the TV. Yep. <clears throat> and then we come up with the digital signal. So you have the HDMI cable or Cat5 cable or whatever, and you hook a DVD player up to a TV. Mm-hmm. And so now this allows the DVD player to tell the TV all kinds of stuff, yep. like what resolutions is capable of playing this DVD in. And then the TV speaks back to the, yep. the VCR or the DVD player and tells it what it's capable of seeing. And so then they communicate until they come to the solution. And then once they come to the best, highest resolution solution, then they agree and they play the, play the movie. Mm. Right. That's the way our body works. Okay. <clears throat> and so we have, we, and that's why it's a complex system. We have, uh, we have neurological things t- going on. We, we create neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. the chemicals in our brain and hormones like adrenaline, some of these kind of things. And then that, that runs through our uh, emotional center which then travels to all the different parts of our brain, our linguistics part, our vision part, our hippocampus, we're responsible for memory. It goes to our frontal lobe and where we start rationalizing. And then the way we rationalize sends signals back and either creates our, it, it either helps our emotions to elevate mm. or to decrease, mm. right? Which then, then it sends signals to the rest of our body to determine how we're going to respond and react. And all this stuff happens so quickly Yeah, and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's like a dialogue that's happening uh, on these signals back and forth. So when we're talking about emotional health, then it's not a simplistic approach. That's probably going to solve the problem. No, it's not a simplistic approach. And I think when we look throughout the scripture, the Bible shows us like these stories that you talked about mm-hmm. earlier, the Bible shows us that emotions happen. Yeah but it really doesn't talk a ton about emotions. And when it does, it talks, it tells us about our thinking patterns, Mm. right? Mm. But the Bible says a ton about thinking thinking. Mm -hmm. because if we focus on our thinking, our emotions work themselves out. That's really interesting. So let's go to one of those, one of those stories talking about Elijah's depression. He runs up to the mountain. He's there seeking after God. God finds him and he says, why are you here? And he says, because everyone has abandoned you and I'm it. I'm the last one. And so he's in this place of despair and he says, take my life. I'm done. I, I want to I wash my hands of this whole deal. I've, I've done everything you've asked me to do and it's for nothing. I've accomplished nothing. So you might as well take me. And God says, yeah, but you didn't see I have 10,000 have not bent, bent their knee to bail. Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's exactly what you're talking about. Elijah had this thought process I'm the only one left, therefore I'm depressed, take me, I'm done, and God changes his thinking. He brings new revelation to the truth for Elijah. So is, is that what is required for all of us when, when we get into an emotionally dark spot? I mean, do we need to start hunting for truth? Do we need to start rewriting our thinking pattern? I mean, what what are some things that we can we can do? Yeah, okay, so... 
<clears throat> so two things that we can do is number one, and you just hit these both. So we have to have alignment to the logos, mm. to the truth. Yeah. Right. Because our emotions, the Bible tells us in, in Psalms that our heart deceives us. Mm-hmm. We're deceived by our emotions. We can't, we, our emotions are supposed to be like a dummy light, like in your car. Yeah. So you're driving your car, your, your tires starting to go flat and there's a, there's a low tire indicator that comes on. Mm. That's what our emotions are for us. It should be an indicator light. It doesn't mean throw your car away. Yeah. Abandon your car. It doesn't mean that life is coming to an end. It just means that there's an indication that something is wrong mm. and you need to fix it. Mm. Right. And so our emotions are the, that's what, that's the indicator light for our life. Something's not right. And so we need to, we need to first make sure that we're aligned with the logos, with the truth. Yeah. And second, we need to deliberately think or meditate on that truth. Mm. And so the story that you were just talking about, so, <clears throat> so he, he thought that he was alone. So what other thoughts could have gone through his head? We, we don't know. This is subjective yeah. because we, we don't know. It doesn't say specifically, but <clears throat> when you feel like you're alone, you're probably thinking stuff like everybody's abandoned me. Mm. There's nobody else. Why, why does God have me out here by myself? Why doesn't he care enough to give me help? Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever thoughts he had, but it's those thought patterns that led him to despair. Yeah. When the truth is, the logos is that God will never leave us or forsake us. Mm-hmm. That he has a plan. He has a plan. So for me, probably where this, if I was to be transparent, where this manifests itself in my own life a lot is when I start thinking about finances. And there's probably a lot of reasons why, and I won't necessarily share it in this setting for several reasons. But um, for me, I start going down that mindset and that 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 just over and over again in your mind what you're thinking about in a negative content over finances a lot of times where I'm thinking, well, how's this going to get done? Well, if that doesn't get done at this time, then we're going to have these problems. And how am I going to overcome that? And then we got to fix it. And and this whole time I'm starting to go down this rabbit trail of bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it's all in my mind. None of this has actually happened, mind you, uh, to the point where the only way I can pull myself out of, of that is by quoting to, to myself the psalm, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Right. right. I might not work out the way I want it to or in the timing I want it to, but it's, it's never, it has never failed that God has come through. Not one time. Right. Yeah. So what are, what are, you know, when we start talking about emotional health, um, you know, there, there's a spectrum of health and unhealth. There's, there's a spectrum between I'm, I'm emotionally stable and I'm emotionally unstable. And, there, and there's a wide variety of everything in between. So if we were to put a, just a basic definition of what does it mean to be emotionally healthy and what does it mean to be emotionally unhealthy, how would you put that in a sentence or two? Okay. So emotionally healthy. Peace. Peace. When you're experiencing more peace than your distress. Mm. And hopefully it's mostly peace, right? Mm. So we see in even in Scripture where it says, be anxious for nothing, mm. but in all things by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God and with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will rule your heart. And so peace is our, peace is the sign that we're emotionally healthy mm. when we're experiencing peace. That's good. And then obviously the reverse of that emotional unhealth would be when I'm just constantly 
lacking for peace. Yeah. Staying up at night, etc. And we can see by the fruit, right, of our decisions that we make and the actions that we take. So if if things aren't going well, we're probably making emotional decisions. Mm. If things are going well, we're probably making decisions based out of truth and understanding. Yeah. So when I start thinking about uh, getting into an unemotional state, or excuse me, an unhealthy state, you know, I, on that spectrum scale again, a lot of times I think we look at our own lives and say, I don't have a problem because I'm not over there in the corner having a meltdown, crying, um, you know, contemplating taking my own life, et cetera. We, we see those extremes and we think, well, I'm not there, therefore I'm probably fine. When I think there's probably a lot of us that are somewhere on the spectrum of emotionally unhealthy. You know, I mean, again, just to be honest, there's probably been more nights that I've laid in bed trying to figure things out that I should not be worrying about in that moment, you know? So what are some of the most common, quote, unhealthy emotional states that people will find themselves in that are not necessarily clinical depression? Right. More the run of the mill common type, you know, issues. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the big one that people are facing today that I deal with probably more than anything is anxiety. Mm. Um, Define anxiety from a clinical standpoint. So anxiety is, okay, so anxiety is kind of, it's it's almost like fear, but but real fear is more um, being afraid of something that's like imminent, right? There's There's a bear, there's a person pointing a gun at you or whatever, that's, so that elicits fear. Anxiety is basically fear of subjective reality, that something that may or may not. Yeah. So... And, and we spend a lot of time fearing things that may or may not ever happen. Mm. So anxiety is, um, anxiety is a symptom of doubt. Mm. That's good. So let me ask you this then. Uh, I would agree with you. Anxiety probably is something that a lot of people wrestle with to, to some degree. But as you said in the beginning of this, if we're not a little bit anxious, then we're not going to get out of bed on time and do things mm-hmm. with excellence. So w- where's that line between healthy anxiety? Well, I got to stay hungry mm-hmm. or I'm not going to succeed versus, you know, I'm up till two o'clock in the morning trying to solve all the world's problems. I'm just going around the same tree over and over and over again in my mind. So where, where's the line in, in healthy anxiety and unhealthy anxiety? Yeah. Well, I think that's just it. I think motivation is if you're motivated because you're a little bit anxious um, that's good. Mm-hmm. Right. So the moment that your anxiety causes you to like not be motivated mm. or to look at something and just be overwhelmed, mm. looking at your to-do list and not thinking you can get it done, being overwhelmed, being mm. scared, staying up at night, can't sleep. So those are, those would be the indicators that the anxiety has crossed the threshold. Where's, where's the line of motivated and workaholic? Right. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, that's a good question. Yeah. You're still figuring that one out? I'm still trying to figure that yeah. out myself. Yeah, so. we can't have all the answers, can we? <clears throat> that's a that's a really good question. Yeah. See, there's there's this interesting reality, though, for high-capacity people, and I hope most of the people that are listening to this are high-capacity, that the command in the, in the Bible that's most applicable to them is not work harder, it's take a Sabbath day. Right. You know, because when I take a Sabbath day, I'm telling God, I actually trust you to get this stuff done because there's not one person on the planet who gets everything checked off their to-do list. There's always one more thing we can do. And so by honoring a Sabbath day in our own life, 
we are telling God, while I still have more to do, I know that you are ultimately my source and you are ultimately one guiding my steps and you are the ultimate one who's going to bring this stuff to fruition. It's not my effort, it's your effort. So I I don't have obviously a clinical degree, but one of the things for me that I, and this is subjective obviously, but at what point am I no longer trusting God for the end goal is probably the point I'm starting to get to become a workaholic. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen my, my son or my kids in, you know, five evenings because I'm working every night when they get home, you know, I'm present, you know, I'm there, but I'm not present with them. I mean, those, those are the only, you know, that where that line is, but I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, Hey, I'm crossing this line. I haven't had a day off now in, in three months because I'm working on things and I'm not really gaining any traction. Right. Know? Yeah. Well, and I think, <clears throat> I think there's, there's some things that we can implement in our life to, to know that too. It's like, if you're working more hours, but you're getting less done, mm. you're probably a workaholic. Yeah. Right. Because you're, you're not working effectively or efficiently because you're not taking the rest that you need. Correct. And so that's one way that we can measure. I think another way too, which we're going to talk about later, but, um, well, if you're married, your wife, mm-hmm. she'll tell you. Yeah. If she's allowed to. Yeah. Ooh. Ouch. Right. And your kids will tell you if they're allowed to. Yeah. Well, and two, a lot of times we're workaholics because we don't trust anybody else to do it as well as we can. Right. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing too. And, <clears throat> and chances are they might not be able to. They right. might not do it as well as you do it. And that gets very, very difficult to try to manage that tension of which 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 areas do I need to put my effort versus which ones do I want to let somebody else take on. So how do I know when I'm starting to get emotionally unhealthy? Are there some warning signs that I'm going to see? And and I guess to piggyback off that with another question, am I going to even be able to see the warning signs of my own life? Or are they going to be in my blind spot and I'm going to need someone else to point them out? Yeah. So let's t- let's take the first one. Um, how how do we know? Well, some of it is when you when you're just feeling the distress, like when you when you know you're overwhelmed, you're panicking about things, you're staying up at night, some of those kind of things. Here's another one: when you go to the doctor, because hmm. almost every medical disease that we face in America is stress and anxiety related. That is so true. <clears throat> And so if you're having to go to the doctor because you have high blood pressure or because you have diabetes or because for a number of things, uh, if you start gaining weight or losing mass amounts of weight, those, that's sign, unless you're trying to do one of the two of those, but those are signs of, those are signs of emotional distress. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you don't feel good, if you're getting sick mm. often, mm. right? So we like to, we, we like to attribute that to external things like, oh, well, I was around too many other sick people. Well, if you're around sick people, but you have a good immune system, you're still not going to get sick all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Our immune system suffers tremendously with fear is a huge, huge hit on our immune system, but so is stress and anxiety. Mm. Is that because our bodies are working overtime, just producing adrenaline and, and our heart rates up. And so our bodies just wore out or what, 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 what contributes to that? Well, okay. So there's a, <clears throat> yeah. And I think it's on a, it, yeah, it's on a chemical level, right? So, okay, let's just take, for example, when you're, when you're stressed and anxious, mm-hmm. you often experience a lot of um, fatigue in the afternoon, mm-hmm. okay? And the reason for that is every time we're stressed and anxious, our pineal gland produces more, or our pancreas, excuse me, produces more insulin. Mm-hmm. 
which then takes all of our, the sugar out of our blood, right? Uses it. <clears throat> and if we're not, <clears throat> if we're not using a, if we're not getting enough protein, then we lose energy. Mm. Right. And so it's a chemical reaction, but these are the kind of, these are the reasons why we experience different diseases like diabetes and some of that kind of stuff. And then <clears throat> when we're, when we're fearful or anxious, we also produce a lot of, a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Right. And that's not good for us to, it's good for us to have in the moment because it helps us to enter into that fight or flight stage where we can fight harder, run faster, feel less pain. But our body it, it shouldn't get too much of that. It causes heart disease. Yeah. And so, so when you're going to the doctor for some of these kind of things, you can say it's genetics yeah. is to make yourself feel better. But it's likely the fact that you're in emotional distress. Yeah. There's at least a component to it probably. Oh, yeah. At the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So kind of let's get a little bit practical a little bit here and, and, and talk about specific things that we can do. And I kind of want to open up with this idea. Um, when ministers fall, it's, it's our observation. It's almost always sex, money, or some sort of doctrinal denial. Like they're deconstructing their faith and they're getting out of it. Why, why is it always sex, money, or I'm just denying the existence of faith altogether? It seems to be those three things. You don't see, um, you, know, you know, you don't go see them beating people up. You don't see them, you know, mass murder. I mean, I know that sounds a little bit extreme, but it's always those same three things over and over and over and over again. Why is that? Yeah, well, I think one of the I th there's a couple components to it. I think one is when we, when we're under a lot of stress and, and pressure, um, we seek pleasure, mm. right? And so, um, and I think another thing is is we're not good at we're not good at regulating pleasure, mm. uh, and it's and it's needed for us to do that. So, yeah. and so here's some practical ways that we can regulate pressure, right? So. Pressure, when, when we experience any kind of pleasure, then we, uh, we receive a dopamine mm -hmm. hit in our brain, right? So, so if we would be better at creating systematic dopamine surges in a healthy way, then we wouldn't seek it in an unhealthy way. Mm. Okay, so practically food. Okay, practically food, yeah. right? So food is one. Yeah. Right. And and that can be healthy. So we, but we want to make sure what, what tends to happen is if we're not getting a healthy amount of dopamine sporadically throughout the day, then, you know, that's when we do all the stress eating at night and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and, and seek unhealthy pleasures with food. And so, okay. So how can you, how can you create dopamine throughout the day? Okay. So <clears throat> one of the biggest ways to create dopamine is to set a goal, reach a goal and then celebrate the goal. Okay. Right. Set, reach and celebrate. So throughout the day. So let's say the first goal is I'm going to get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Right. So when seven o'clock rolls around, get up. Yeah. You set the goal to get up, get up and then celebrate that you got up. Mm. So one of the things that you can do is you can turn your to do list into a ta-da list. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what I like to do. So when I get up at seven, I get out of bed and I go ta-da. I did it. And Jenny's I can mad mark it off like, my list. Why are you making that noise? Yeah. Getting up. Yeah. Exactly. And so the next, and you can set these things. So you want to eat a healthy breakfast. That's a goal. Okay. So you get up, you fix your breakfast, you eat it, and then you celebrate. Hmm. Right. And so throughout your day, you set these goals that you want to, you want to reach. 
You want to read your Bible? <clears throat> you want to read a self-help book? Um, whatever it is, multiple things that you can do, but spread those things out throughout the day and then mark them off your list and celebrate it. Hmm. That's good. So is it safe to say, you know, we've been kind of beating around this bush a little bit, um, you know, emotional health versus unhealth. The, the, the verse where Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. We think that freedom ultimately brings happiness, but a lot of what I'm hearing you describe with emotions is that when they are when they are free to do what they want, they tend to get negative. And when they get negative, they're going to have bad effects on our life. So if I want to be an emotionally healthy person, it's going to start with disciplined thought that's going to lead to disciplined action. And then I'm going to be disciplined enough to recognize my emotions and to manage my emotions. If, if we were to put uh, that into one sentence, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So emotional health looks like this. It's 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 uh, self-competence, hmm. which would be um, in order to have self-competence, you have to have self-awareness and uh, self-management. Hmm. Okay. And then the second component is social competence, hmm. which you need social awareness and social management. Hmm. And, and when you're able to accomplish that, you're emotionally healthy. Perfect. And, and that's exactly right. So you have to be disciplined. This idea of freedom is not good for us, right? To just do whatever we want, whenever we want. Yeah. We have to be disciplined. Um, we have to be, we have to be disciplined in our thought. We have to be disciplined in our actions and we have to celebrate. And so one of the, we, we have a natural tendency to pick up on negative and threatening cues, mm -hmm. right? So that's part of the survival instinct. What we're not good at is we're not good at recognizing and appreciating the positive things that happen. So in my clinical practice, I ask people often to make a gratitude list. Hmm. And that's the part that people struggle with more than anything. Really? Making a list of things you're grateful for. Hmm. Which makes sense when you're in, in emotional distress, when you're, when you're coming to me for depression or anxiety or any, any of those kind of things. They, they tend to overwhelm your brain and it's hard to think about stuff, but... But the other component of that is we just don't recognize it, mm. right? So um, we can have something positive. We can have lots of positive things happen throughout the day that we don't even recognize and, and, and spend any kind of moment appreciating. Mm. And part of that is because we're running so fast, right? So yeah. I got up this morning. I got in my car. I turned the key, and it started. Yep. If it wouldn't have started... It would have set my, like, I would have had a, a struggle for the rest of the day. Yep. Right? So that is something worth being grateful for. That is. And it's it's just small things like that. I woke up this morning in a temperature-controlled home. Yep. You could have been in Somalia. Right. Yeah. And my bed is yeah. extremely comfortable. Yeah. Right? And so it, there's so many things. You just you go throughout the day, like, there, there's so much. I opened my fridge and there, I had a choice of food. Do, do you think that emotional health for 90% of the population is a choice? Like I'm going to choose to do the things and to think the way I need to think in order to be emotionally healthy. I think ultimately it's a choice, but I think, I, I think that many people don't know how to, how to do the process to be emotionally healthy. So mm -hmm. Um, again, it's a complex process, right? It's a complex system. So, um, 
and there is a lot of it that has to do with our neurochemicals, but we have total control over that. Hmm. So why do pastors struggle with this so much? You and I have talked obviously at other times where you, you start digging into a lot of ministry leaders and buddy, they're emotional wrecks. Mm-hmm. What, why did, what is it about ministry people that they tend to go down this road time and time again? What, why is that? Yeah. Well, okay. So I think partly it's, it's popular in the church and it's, it's kind of our, I think it's probably our, our go-to because we think about God as spiritual, Mm. right? Yeah. And so we think about ourselves as spiritual, Mm -hmm. but there's much, there's two other components. There's the physical and then there's the, the soul, right? Yeah. Body, soul, and spirit. And so as we read the scripture, we're typically looking for spiritual components, Right, the the Bible talks so much about the mind. Yeah. Right, but you don't hear a lot of that being spoken about. Correct. And I think it's because we're just not looking for it. We're we're not. I think we we have the natural tendency to look for the spiritual in in the scripture. Is that because the spiritual is a quick fix? Well, no, I think it's well, it's more romantic too. Mm. Right, miracles are way more romantic than discipline. Uh, than discipline. That's true. And so. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And I think we also hunger for, we hunger for that connection with God, that spiritual connection with God. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we miss often is that those spiritual connections with God don't come on an individual basis, right? Mm-hmm. He instituted the church on purpose. Correct. And we're supposed to rely on one another. Mm-hmm. And so you asked a question earlier, will we even notice if we're becoming emotionally unhealthy? And I would say sometimes yes, but probably not because we're not supposed to be individuals, right? God instituted marriage on purpose because we need help. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and we're supposed to be united together as a church. I think that's, that's part of the concept of confess your sins one to another. Yeah. Do you, is this true or not that, emotionally healthy people tend to run in packs and emotionally unhealthy people tend to run in packs? Or will you find a, a person in the midst of a strong mind, spirit people who is just an emotional wreck? Or do they tend to group together? Uh, they tend to group together. Interesting. So is it safe to say that I can probably look at the emotional state of my friends and that's probably mimicking what my emotional state is? Yeah, I think for the most part, and I think... I think that's because we we flock to to that sim, those similarities, and I also think because I think if you're if you're a highly motivated person, yeah, and and you're you're you tend to be positive, and Correct. then you have somebody around you that's just negative, and they just kind of suck the energy out of the room. We tend to avoid them. That's true. And I think if you're if you tend to be negative, and somebody else is just overly positive and celebratory. We tend to avoid them too. So I think it works both ways. The avoidance works both ways. I think so. I, I've seen that time and time again where it seems like uh, health purges dysfunction. Mm-hmm. It's like your body's immune system expels the virus. It fights the virus. And it seems like when you have a group of emotionally healthy people that an emotionally unhealthy person just can't thrive in that environment. They, yeah. they, they get themselves out. You know, They're just uncomfortable. Right. Um, it, it very, very secure people tend to repel insecure people. Yeah. Well, and it's, 
<clears throat> that happens on a subconscious level. So there's a technical reason for this. Hmm. So when we think about our mind, our mind is split up into two different components, right? We have the conscious mind and we have the subconscious mind. Okay. So when we, when we meditate on something over and over and over, then consciously, mm-hmm. that's when things become subconscious. Okay. So think about it like riding a bike. So the first time you ride a bike, you're like, you're scared, you're wobbly. Uh, you, you don't have the rhythm down Yeah. and, and you crash a few times. Correct. Right. You keep, you keep doing it over and over and over. You build muscle memory mm-hmm. and then you can go 20 years without riding a bike, hop on one and ride it just like yep. you were doing it yesterday. Yep. Right. And so, so we build the, that's a, that's a subconscious, right? So when, and that's what, when we talk about belief, that's what a belief mm-hmm. is, is that it's subconscious. It's embedded into us. It is in, in, we act out everything that we believe. Yep. Right. So, um, so when we, our subconscious always wants to honor us, it's in our subconscious where neurochemicals are produced, our heart rate is controlled, our breathing is controlled, all that, right? So when we have a subconscious belief, it's, it's set into us, whether it's a limited belief or a limiting belief or a growth belief, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's going to try to honor us. And so what happens is we enter into a situation where we have convinced ourselves that we're, we're, we're worthless, we're mm-hmm. no good. Yep which causes depression, right? So we're, we're more of that depressed person and we enter into a room full of positive people. Our subconscious looks, takes in all the information, everything that's in the room, every bit of information. Our subconscious takes it in, filters it, and it's what we call selective abstraction. Mm. It abstracts out information that confirms what you believe, mm. right? That's what we call confirmation bias. Yep. And so, and then... So if there's nothing in the room that confirms what you believe, then you try to find a place to go that does. Hmm. Right? And then if you if you stay in that place, then your subconscious starts coming up with these dilemmas. And this is where some dysfunctional thinking comes in. It's like, well, um, these people must be fake. Hmm. Right? And so you start thinking like that. And then then you can't then you can't even uh, trust the people that you're in the room with because they're all positive. So they must all be fake. Mm. Nobody's life can be this good. Yeah. Right. And so that's where our thinking comes in. That's why we have to be self-aware, right? We, we have to be aware enough to know, okay. So when we talk about self-awareness, what we try to explore is what are your thought patterns, right? So write some stuff down. When an event happens, write it down, write about how you experienced it and how you felt and, and what your thoughts were. Right. And then we can start, we can start looking at some general thought patterns, like all or nothing thinking, hmm. right. Or overgeneralizing. Yeah. When we use the words every never, right. Or catastrophizing mm-hmm. where we make mountains into molehills right? or molehills into mountains, whatever. Um, it's so there's, there's a list of, of, distorted cognitions that we can think of. Right. And so, uh, excusing the positive. Mm. Right. And so, um, that would be an example of, you know, positive things happen, but we excuse the positive and try to latch onto the negative. Mm. And so all this stuff happens on a subconscious level because it's trying to honor your belief. And so if we, if we're, if we just live our life on this autopilot, which is most of what we do, 
We wake up in the morning. We might consciously pick out the outfit that we put on, but we certainly don't consciously put it on. We don't yep. consciously decide which leg to put into our pants first. Yep. We don't consciously decide um, to turn the key to start our car, to put it in reverse, to look backwards, to move our foot from the gas to the brake and brake to the gas. We don't consciously think about most of this stuff. Correct. And we don't consciously think about, so often we don't consciously think about our experiences. Correct. So if we were if we were to kind of wrap up this segment here, and I think what we're going to do is we'll probably call this podcast it, and then uh, we'll we'll do another podcast at a later date talking about marriage. But if we were to kind of wrap this up right now with say three action steps that I can I can approach for health, um, you had said something a while back in a conversation that what determines if my emotions are positive or negative is simply are they moving me forward or are they pulling me backwards. And so uh, I, I love that because that was so simple to, to help me start to differentiate good emotions from bad emotions. So if I'm in a place where I feel like my emotions are pulling me back, I, I'm not progressing forward. Three simple action steps that I could take today to get more emotionally healthy is start by having some discipline, number one. Have disciplined thought and disciplined action. Set some goals in the morning and then meet those goals throughout the day. And celebrate them. And celebrate them. We cannot forget to celebrate. So be disciplined in my thought, my action, my celebration. Right. Mm-hmm. The second thing I need to do is I need to become more aware, self-aware. And yep. a simple way in which I can do that is as I'm starting to feel certain emotions in a moment is that I need to find a time and I need to write down what it is I'm feeling and then really look at that and evaluate that and say, is that matching the truth? Because I know everything's subjective. But is this is this a healthy way to look at things? Right. Is it so you look at what's the activating event? What what exactly did I think yep. when that happened? And what were my what was my feeling? Yeah. Right. So we're trying to identify uh, so we can we can make sure we don't repeat the pattern mm. in the future. Yeah. So what's the activating event? What were my thoughts and what was my behavior or my reaction? Yeah. So discipline, self-awareness, and then the last one is just making sure I'm in the right environment. And if, I, if I'm in the right environment and I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that, my subconscious is feeling a little bit uncomfortable, and I probably need to explore that too. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm ultimately who my friends are is who I'm becoming. You right. know, the, the environments I'm placing myself in are conforming me. It's like the Play-Doh mold shaping my thoughts and my, my yeah. actions in my life. So I need to make sure that I'm in the good mold for who I want to be. If I do those three things, am I on the right track to emotional health as an individual? Absolutely. And I would just say this for that last point. Bad company corrupts good character and iron sharpens iron. That's right. So we want to make sure that we find the iron in our life. Hey, listen, here's the deal. We want to make sure that we are emotionally healthy individuals because we are leaders who are trying to lead other people. And if the enemy's coming at us and we know that there's going to be an emotional and a spiritual attack, then we need to be prepared. And those are three simple things that you can do every single day, every single week to help you get on track to go to an emotionally healthy place. Hey, next week, we're going to jump in. We're going to start talking about having emotionally healthy marriages. So look forward to that.